You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. This morning's scripture passage is from Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. And uh, welcome to those joining us online as well. Uh, I have to, I mean, proud Papa moment. I have to say this is our son Silas's debut. So he is over there. You might catch a peek. Uh, Feel free afterwards. Um, we are, like I said, thrilled to be able to, uh, to share, in this, share in this amazing joy and truly miracle with, uh, with our church family. We hope you had a great spring break. I heard about some of the, the adventures that people had. I'm slightly jealous in staying around the Chicago area over spring break, but uh, we were able to make the most of it. I hope, hope you were too. I think this was mentioned last week, but just wanted to reiterate that if you are interested in membership right now, that is desiring to plant the flag and say, yes, I want to be a part of this fellowship of believers, um, not only for support, for accountability, to say, yes, this is the family that I resonate with. I'd love to talk to you. Um, but this is a great time to become a member and then heading into our annual meeting, which takes place in June. So when that is affirmed. And so please, I'd love to, if you have questions, love to talk to you. And it's a pretty simple process we'll, we can walk you through. Also, with Holy Week coming up, we are thrilled this year to be able to partner with Agape Chicago, one of our church plants, for a combined Good Friday service. So please mark your calendars for that. That'll be on Good Friday, so April 15th at 6.30 at Levere Memorial Temple. And we'll have some, uh, some more details for that coming out here in the next week. But please mark your calendar for that special service and right now, we are in a series in Mark's gospel called Jesus, the Servant King. We're in the middle of this stretch here in Mark 4 through Mark 5 that has four kingdom parables that demonstrate, that highlight the, the teaching of Jesus surrounding the kingdom of God. And then four, what we might call, if those are word parables, then we have four deed parables, that is, these, these miracles that take place to demonstrate or to lend credence to Jesus' powerful proclamation of the kingdom. And each one of these deed miracles is met with awe, is met with amazement. Each one in turn, as we will see, demonstrates 
Jesus' powerful authority over something. So this week, his powerful authority, authority over the wind and the waves. Then his powerful authority over the demons, disease, and even death itself. Last week, we examined the three final kingdom parables in Mark 4, and we're challenged to make the kingdom of God known with the assurance, the full assurance, that though it might begin small, it will someday grow to encompass people from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth. May we not despise the small things and the kingdom seed that takes root. Today, we turn to this amazing story in Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. And before we jump in, would you pray with me? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you have to say to us today, Lord, through your holy word. May we hear your gospel afresh. Above the busyness and complexity of life, Lord, would we hold to your gospel unswervingly? Would we share your gospel with conviction and compassion so that the world might know? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen. Maybe even as you heard this story read, it conjured up images or memories of powerful storms that you have gone through in your life, whether tornadoes, hurricanes, similar storms of that magnitude. I couldn't help but think just even this past fall, we were coming back from visiting my folks in Peoria and got into a storm system that quickly went sideways, looked at our phones and realized that there were tornado warnings that were popping up in the grid where we were passing through. And as we began to, you know, hardly be able to see what was in front of us with the driving wind, and I looked around and saw everyone that I loved in this, in this car around me, we turned off at a farmhouse and doubled back to this town of Gridley. Anyone know where Gridley, Illinois is? I see, oh, one hand in the back, yeah. And rode out the storm there, watching this, this storm system kind of angle past us before carrying on. You know, probably the most devastation we've seen as a result of something like this was actually in the wake of the Waldo Canyon fire and the Black Forest fire in Colorado many years ago. That between the two, those two wildfires destroyed some 900 homes completely wiped out entire communities. The reality is that we have faced, are facing, or will face raging storms of another kind, more metaphorical storms, to be precise. Storms that threaten us, may threaten our families, our community, and paralyze us with fear. Perhaps there, there are storms that we have faced, are facing now, or will face in the future. Whether it be the tragic death of a loved one, a devastating medical diagnosis, relational conflict that arises, perhaps even betrayal at the hands of someone you love, loss of employment leading to financial hardship for you, for your family, through the centuries, Christians have held tightly to the story of Jesus calming the storm here in Mark 4 and have found in these words comfort, solace, and gospel hope. 
My prayer is that whether looking back on previous storms and seeing, reflecting on God's faithfulness in the midst of that storm, whether in the middle of a storm right now, looking for some, some anchor, some encouragement while it rages, or even in preparation for the storms that will inevitably come, my prayer is, we, is that we will see that Jesus' powerful authority over the wind and the waves demonstrates his identity as the unique son of God who is with us, knows our pain, and calls us to trust in him through the storms that we face. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? It had been an exhausting power-packed day full of teaching on the kingdom of God, teaching to both receptive hearts and hardened hearts alike, and now the evening had come. And Jesus invites his closest followers to, to come away with him to the other side of the lake. But this is more than simply a change of scenery for this, this small band. The eastern side of the Sea of Galilee was Gentile territory. The next miracle that we see in Chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, takes place in one of the cities of the Decapolis, that is, a league of 10 cities with Greek foundings that were ethnically diverse cities. Even in this summoning them across the lake, Jesus is signaling the worldwide advancement of the gospel, that the gospel is for all peoples. He summons them to the other side of the lake. The boat he had been teaching from, using as a pulpit, then becomes his primary mode of transportation. You know, there was an ancient fishing boat that was discovered on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee that was, that was brought up and examined. It sheds light, I think, on the type of boat Jesus would have used. It seated about 15 people, was about 26 feet long, 7 feet wide, about 4 feet high. And one of the little details that Mark includes compels us, actually several vivid details, I think remind us of the eyewitness nature of this account. One of them being, I don't think I'd ever even seen this before, the other boats that accompany them, like a little flotilla across the sea. Perhaps other boats of people that had been listening to Jesus beginning to make this journey with them as well. Suddenly, a furious storm arose. The Sea of Galilee lies some 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by hills and violent downdrafts can cause sudden storms. And in 1992, there was such a storm that caused 10-foot high waves to crash into the, the nearby town of Tiberias. And so in this scene, high waves were breaking into the boat. It began to fill with water. Time was of the essence. And all these experienced sailors suddenly found themselves in a deadly, raging storm. But there is a key detail. Jesus, the one who invites them to the other side, is the one who led them into the storm. Jesus is right there with him. Church, we can trust that Jesus is with us that he is working in the circumstances we face in life. The storms do not catch him unaware. And Jesus invites us to go where he calls us to go, to go to the other side of the lake. 
And after all, it was Jesus who suggested they cross to the other side. It was not outside of his will. He led them into the storm. He is present in the storm. And as we will see, he is the only one powerful enough to preserve them through the storm. God is working in the everyday circumstances of our lives, yes, and in the most fierce, raging storms that we face. And it is often in the most desperate of situations when God does his most magnificent work, work that testifies to his grace, his goodness, his holiness, his faithfulness. Where was Jesus in all this? sleeping in the stern, the rear of the ship, on a cushion. Again, I love some of those little, those key details along the way, reminding us that these are the firsthand accounts, most likely, of Peter. I mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, and certainly in the introduction of the series, but Mark has come to be called the gospel according to Peter, because Mark records Peter's memories. Sleeping on a cushion. This past week, I was reminded of, uh, there's a dear family in our church, um, Andrew and Michelle Wagner. Andrew is a part, his parents have a family business, and they, the business is creating cushions for pews. In fact, they provided the cushions that are on the pews that you're sitting on right now here at the MIC. Kind of a fun, fun connection. But even that little detail right there highlights the eyewitness nature. Jesus Overcome by great fatigue and physical exhaustion, remains asleep, clearly exhausted from this long and wearying day of teaching and ministering to the people, the crowds that had come to hear and to know more, and explaining to them the kingdom of God in more detail through the use of parables. This is not some mere pretending to be asleep, like what maybe you might do with your kids, where you're pretending and you kind of have one eye open like that, kind of seeing what they're going to do. Maybe we're the only ones that do that, I don't know, but. No, he is fast asleep, paralleling, not only in this detail, but in others as well as we'll see, paralleling the remarkable story of Jonah and Jonah's sleep in Jonah chapter one. And while some of these experienced fishermen flounder, this this carpenter, this land lover, can we call him that, rests soundly. What a profound contrast. In this story, the deity and the humanity of Christ are on full display. And here is his humanity, exhausted from a wearying day Jesus sleeps, entrusting himself to his faithful father. A bitter irony is that some of these same disciples will sleep on him in his time of trial, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what a reminder that Jesus experienced humanity, that Jesus knows our pain. He knows what it is like to go through such storms. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus shows the tranquility of faith and complete trust in God in the midst of the storm. He is like the farmer in the previous parables who trusts God's providential hand at work in the midst of adversity. 
May we rest in Christ who knows our pain. May we as well entrust ourselves to our faithful Father when the winds howl. The disciples, on the other hand, are gripped with fear and in panic they turn to Jesus in the back of the boat and shake him awake. Teacher, this begins innocently enough. Teacher is a common way that they use to to address Jesus. But then it goes south from there. Don't you care if we drown? This is a rebuke of sorts. It is a statement that drips with some sarcasm, even, some rudeness. This is the way that desperate and frustrated people speak. Similar to Martha in Luke 10, 40, who says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? But their desperate cry revealed that their fear of death was greater than their confidence in the presence of Christ who was right there with them. And we are, oh, we are prone to do likewise. In life storms, we also experience fear and panic and lash out. We can so easily do this. We can lash out in anger toward our Savior. We, perhaps we have used similar don't you care type statements ourselves. Don't you care if this disease cuts my life short? Don't you care that we're unable to have children? Don't you care if I fail and am unable to graduate? Don't you care that I don't know how to provide for my family in this time? In those storms, we can so easily feel like we are alone, that Jesus isn't present, and that no one knows what we're going through, but how mistaken we are. Jesus knows the crashing of every wave. Jesus knows the rate of our beating heart. He knows our every anxious thought. He knows every emotion we are feeling. Even when we are paralyzed by such feelings and thoughts, he knows every dream that we have. That little boat, tossed on the raging sea, commanded God's most intimate attention. And so do our lives. So do we. In life and in death, so do we. Mark records what happens next with three simple verbs. Jesus gets up from his sleep, rebukes the wind. This is remarkable. It's almost a, it's as if he addresses the wind as if it were a person. This is a, a personification that takes place. He rebukes the wind and he commands the waves with two simple words, quiet, be still. Quick math, two words in the Greek, quiet, be still. The word for be still here though can mean to muzzle. It's the same word meaning to like to muzzle a dog. And the sense in which he uses this, he gives this command to be still, not only means be still now, but it means be still and stay still. Be still and stay still. It's the same word that Jesus uses to drive out the demon in Mark 1, verse 25. Over and over in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus speaks and things happen. His authoritative word casts out demons. It stills storms, and yes, it raises 
the dead to new life. Little girl, I say to you, arise. The wind and the waves respond immediately to the authoritative word of Christ. And the great calm contrasts with the great storm of verse 37. This is no mere change in weather, weather patterns. Think about this. These are experienced fishermen, some of them, who are driven to fear and amazement at what Jesus does before their very eyes. You know, in the Old Testament, the churning of the waters is often found as a metaphor for the threatening chaos that God overcomes. Beginning from the very first pages of Scripture in Genesis 1, God produces order from chaos. God drives back the waters of the Red Sea, liberating his people from slavery in Egypt. The book of Job pictures God establishing the force of the wind, measuring out its waters, making a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. And perhaps in what is the closest parallel, in fact, I invite you to flip over to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Perhaps what is the closest parable, showing importantly that it is God who calms the waves of the storm. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Church, here is now the deity of Christ on full display in this passage. When Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he is making a strong statement about who he is because here Jesus does what only God can do and Jesus does what is described in the Old Testament as God having the power to do, has the same powerful authority over nature. The truth was right there before their very eyes and it is right before our eyes as well. All power, glory, wisdom, and strength belongs to him. This is what captures Paul when he writes in Colossians 1 in the great hymn of Christ that Christ is the definitive image of God, Colossians 1.15, that he was involved in the very creation of the world from the, very, from the beginning. He is the one in whom all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Not only is he the definitive image of God and creator, but he is our sustainer. He is before all things, Colossians 1.17, and in him all things hold together. I am no expert on this. Some of you might be able to describe this more, but I picture in my mind that without Jesus, electrons would cease to circle nuclei. He is our sustainer. He is what 
keeps us. He is what holds us together, the very fabric of our lives. And not only is our creator sustained, but he is the goal to which all things are going. All things were created through him and for him. There is power, wonder-working power, as we as the old hymn reminds us, in the precious blood of the Lamb. In his blood and in his authoritative word. Jesus turns from addressing the wind and the waves to addressing his closest followers looking at him with stunned amazement and fear. Two more key questions take place at this point. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Notice that he doesn't call out their lack of knowledge at this point, but their lack of trust. Rather than trusting him, the disciples had accused Jesus of turning his back on them. They had had the secret of the kingdom of God entrusted to them, but their fear betrayed their lack of faith. We'll see this a few more times in Mark's gospel as Jesus continues to call out, to point out their lack of faith. But at the end of the day, faith is the antidote to fear. Faith means trusting in Jesus, trusting that he has divine power, that that power is present in him. And this story challenges us to learn to trust in him completely, even if our obedience leads us into the storm. We can trust him in the midst of those turbulent waters. But there's an important point, I think, that needs to be made. This story does not mean that God will rescue us from every hardship that we face when we cry out to him. Rather than keeping his followers from the storm, God promises to preserve us through the storm. Alan Cole helped capture my imagination on this when he writes, sometimes God saves us from trouble, sometimes he saves us in trouble. Sometimes he saves us from death, and sometimes he uses our death to glorify his name. He who calmed the raging storm with his authoritative word is with you. He is in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he calls you to lay down such fear and place your faith in him, in him alone. This great storm that is transformed into a great calm leads to great fear. The terror of the disciples in the wake of this miracle, a combination of fear and awe, actually, when you look at the words themselves, it actually exceeds the fear that they initially have because of the storm. It causes them to cry out the fourth key question in this passage, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus' authority over creation left them stunned and raised the question of who is he exactly? What kind of man can have the power of God to tame the wind and the waves? Even though it's a reminder, I think, that even though the disciples were following them, they still had a great deal to learn about him. But Jesus' miracles were not just meaningless magic. No, 
They were designed to show, fundamentally, to show who he is. Who he is. And so the fundamental question that is posed here by the disciples and that we all must answer is who is this? Who is this? I love the way Gisela Kittle uh, writes, she writes this, just kind of reframing the, these provocative questions posed by the story. Who is this who in the middle of the storm stands at one and the same time with his own and also at the side of God? Who is this in whom God's creative and redeeming power invades the world of chaos and snatches people from its destructive forces? Mark's gospel emphatically answers this question of who is this? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the unique Son of God. And stopping the scene here, as Mark does, creates, in a way, it creates an open ending. We are invited to ponder the same question we are invited to answer that question for ourselves. Who is Jesus to you? Will this fear lead them to trust in him? Will we? Who is this? Here's the bottom line, church. Jesus' powerful authority over the wind and the waves demonstrates his identity as the unique son of God. demonstrates his identity as the unique son of God. He who is with us knows our pain and calls us to trust in him through the storms of life. Let us lift our eyes above the tumultuous waves to the one who rules all things. And with all the parables, or parallels, I should say, with the story of Jonah, perhaps you've met a couple of those along the way. If you think back to Jonah chapter one, in fact, it might be worth just turning there briefly. Flip over to Jonah one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed up for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sh the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, 
and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Did you hear some of the parallels even as we read that story? From the detail of him sleeping to the fear of the sailors, a few others as well. It is as if in the way that Mark writes this to us, we are meant to recall this story. But as Jesus declares in Matthew 12, 41, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. In fact, in the verse before, he declares, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is the one greater than Jonah. He is the true Jonah who plunged into the stormy sea through the cross. For it is there, it is at the cross that he took upon himself all of our sin and he calmed the storm of the righteous wrath of God. Through the cross, three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all, making a way for us to be radically reunited to the Father. And he invites us through faith in him to experience streams of living water through him. John 7. But here's the thing. As we follow Jesus in that costly way, as we follow Jesus, there will be pain. There will be hardship. Paul would later write about the four shipwrecks that he endured, relentless persecution, deadly peril, but even in the face of those things, he could declare with bold confidence, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. While this miracle of calming the storm demonstrates Christ's powerful authority over nature, it also demonstrates his powerful authority over Satan, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. I find it fascinating that the same word that he declares to liberate someone from demon possession is the same word that he declares to the wind and the waves. It points forward to the day when the rule of Satan will be no more. And in Revelation 21, verse 1, the churning chaos of the water gives way once and for all. 
feel like it's, this is something I've glossed over a few times when reading this verse. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And there was no longer any sea. Jesus' powerful authority over the wind and the waves demonstrates his unique identity as the Son of God who is with us, who knows our pain and calls us to trust in him through the storms of life. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this story filled with vivid details that point to you and to your majesty, to your glory. And Lord Jesus, we declare our trust and our confidence in you. You who have gone before us. You who are with us. You who know our hardship and our pain. And you who invite us to place our trust, our commitment, our confidence in you. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Oh Lord, walk with this, your church, through the storms of life. May we see your hand looking back on what you have done. May we see you in the midst of the raging storm now. And Lord, would you prepare us for whatever lies ahead. We love you. And it is in the precious matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, he who plunged beneath the flood, that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast, and to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.